Amen. Please remain standing if you're able. And let's turn to Hebrews 11 once again. Page 1007 in the Blue Bible. We'll begin our reading at verse 1, reading through verse 6. Hear God's holy word. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him, reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Looking at verses 5 and 6, and really mainly verse 5 today, this verse about Enoch. Enoch is one of the uh, most mysterious figures in the Bible. We don't know much about him at all, uh, but what we do know is very interesting. He was one of those pre-flood people uh, that seemed to live practically forever. Such an interesting part of the Bible to read of those uh, folks in that age. Enoch lived a very, very long time. Not the longest. He wasn't uh, uh, the one with the longest life. His son, Methuselah, has that honor, that record at 969 years old. Imagine that. Kids, imagine all those candles on a birthday cake. 969 can't even fathom that. Enoch wasn't even close to 969, but he lived to a ripe old age as well. 365 years, we're told. Think about that. Just that is uh, astounding. It's hard to believe. It sounds like something from science fiction. God gave him more than three and a half centuries of life on earth this earth. To get a sense of how long that is, you know, you read that number and you, you don't really don't really grasp it. But just to try to get a sense of it, if he lived in our day and let's say he died in 2022, he would have been born in 1657. That is a long time, three and a half centuries. And his son lived nearly three times longer than he did. That is incredible. Though he lived longer, though Methuselah lived longer, Enoch's years seem to have been perhaps sweeter. Length of days is not what is really highlighted in this section about Enoch. It's the quality of his days, the kind of life he lived. We're told in that passage in Genesis 5, Enoch walked with God. So that being the case... With that kind of testimony, it's not too surprising to see his name here in this great roll call of faith 
and Hebrews 11. Some interesting differences and similarities between the passage in Genesis 5 and what we see here in Hebrews 11. Genesis 5 says nothing about Enoch's faith, at least not directly, not explicitly. It doesn't mention Enoch's faith. Hebrews 11 does, of course, and it also highlights the fact that he walked with God, as Genesis says. But really, these two things, they're not different things at all. They're one and the same. Without faith, we're told it is impossible to please God. And so Enoch must have been a man of faith, even though it wasn't mentioned there in Genesis, since he walked with God, meaning that he had a living relationship with God. He walked with the Lord in a way that pleased him. How can you walk with the Lord unless you're living a life that's pleasing to him? And of course, we're told that Enoch uh, never suffered physical death. That's the thing we probably think of right off the bat when we think of Enoch. He did not die. Both passages make this clear, Genesis and Hebrews 11. We're told he walked with God, then he was no more because God took him. That is fascinating to think about that. God took him alive. He took him to be with himself without having to go through the pains of death. And this, of course, is very, very different from uh, all those other pre-flood uh, men that were told about in that part of Genesis. Uh, the account of their lives ends with that um, phrase, those depressing words, and then he died. Each one is named, and then we're told, and then he died. But not Enoch. He doesn't get that. He doesn't get that epitaph. He doesn't really get any epitaph because the epitaphs are for the dead. Enoch was in a whole different category. He simply was no longer to be found on earth. He wasn't here anymore. God took him out of this world, removed him. Hebrews 11 verse 5 says it this way. Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Imagine the family members where is Enoch? He's just gone. No clue. Where did he go? I wonder if they knew somehow that the Lord had taken him. Obviously, Moses was inspired to write these words. They must have known. The Lord took him. And we're not told how. We'd like to know. We're all curious. How in the world did this happen? We'd like to have seen that. But God's Spirit hasn't told us how this happened. There's a lot of things we'd like to know, but we don't get to know because God hasn't put them in scripture for us to know. Maybe he was taken up in a very dramatic way. Maybe it was a visible, uh, dramatic exit from this world, like Elijah. Elijah was the other um, person who was taken up out of this world by God without tasting death. Maybe it was visible and dramatic like that, or maybe it was, it was not. Maybe it was just uh, uh, that he, he was gone, just disappeared. The Lord just took him in an instant. He was there one minute and gone the next. We don't know. It doesn't really matter. We don't need to speculate on how it happened. That's okay that we don't know that. God tells us what he wants to tell us. He tells us what we need to know, what he wants us to know. And what he did tell us about here is what we need to focus on. And that is Enoch's life, not his departure, 
his translation, as it's often called, but his life. That's what we're told about here. That's what God wants us to know about, how he lived. Two times in those verses in Genesis 5, we're told that Enoch walked with God. And this tells us about Enoch's character and about his life, his lifestyle, if you will. It tells us what kind of heart this man had. It tells us what really mattered most of all to him. Notice this uh, passage, uh, neither one of these passages, tells us what kind of job Enoch had or how many hours of a week he worked, or what kind of big things he accomplished in life. Those are the kind of things we might talk about when we're telling somebody about ourselves, but there's nothing like that here. What is clearly highlighted here, though, by the Holy Spirit who inspired these scriptures is the fact that this man walked with God. That's what God wants us to know about. That is the most important, most significant thing about Enoch. I think we can say that this is the most important significant thing that we can do in this life, to walk with God. This is the life that God wants for us. This is the good life. People talk about the good life. What's the good life? This is walking with God. This is real living, not just existing like so many people do, just passing the time, passing their days, living out uh, their life until the end comes is something so much better than that. This is real life, abundant. What does it mean to walk with God? In the Bible, that image of walking really is a metaphor. It's anthropomorphic language uh, for living. Just another way of picturing living. Living is walking, walking on the path. So to walk with God is to live with God, to live in a relationship. Abraham lived that way. Abraham was called a friend of God. What a beautiful designation. What a beautiful thing to be called and to be a friend of God. Think of that. Think of any friendship. Think of a human friendship and how good that can be. It's a relationship. It's a sharing of one another. It's a companionship, a communion that can exist between two people. Well, so it is with God. We can keep company with God. That's what we're seeing. God offers that to us. He gives that blessing to us if we will have it. There's a fellowship, a close communion that we can enjoy with the living God. Amos 3 verse 3 is a familiar verse that says, do two people walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Well, God has agreed to do so with his people. Think about how amazing that is. This is not something that we deserve as sinners. This is what we were made to do, but we lost that privilege in the fall. God has restored us to it through his son. This wonderful God wants to walk with us. He loves us. He delights in his people. And he's done everything necessary to reconcile us to himself through Jesus Christ so that we can enjoy union with him and communion, living, ongoing, intimate communion with him. He's done it all so that we can have this. He forgives our sins. He's declared us righteous in Christ. Now he looks upon us as if we'd never sinned and as if we're 
perfectly righteous and pleasing in his sight. And he regenerates us by his spirit. And he makes us willing to live this life. He makes us willing to walk with him, ready and willing to to walk with him in love. That's only by his spirit that we can begin to love him and desire to have this communion with him. Though we once were his enemies, we were far from God. We are no longer that because of Jesus Christ. We are friends of God if we're reconciled by faith in Jesus. And not only friends, we're not merely friends of God. Of course, the New Testament tells us we're his beloved bride. It doesn't get any closer than that. That is the closest sweetest, most intimate kind of relationship, the marriage relationship. That's what the Christian life is meant to be like. That's what this communion with God, walking with God is meant to be like. It is a beautiful living relationship. It's a life of faith, a life of worship, worshiping the Lord, giving thanks to him. It's a life of conversing with him, speaking with him, in prayer, and listening to him as he speaks to you through his word, through the scripture. We are so blessed to have this kind of relationship with the living God. We have communion with all three persons of the Trinity now that we're in Christ, walking with God. There's nothing better in this life that we can have. Thomas Watson wrote of it. He said, to walk with God is to walk by faith. We are said to draw near to God, as Hebrews 10, 22 says. And we have fellowship with him. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And he puts it this way. In this way, we may take a turn with him every day of our lives. Meaning, we can have this communion. with It's like walking, he says, among beds of spices which send forth a fragrant perfume. He's trying to express the sweetness, the goodness of this life of walking with God. It is the sweetest, most precious of all relationships that we have. Pray that you know that. I pray you not even let your human relationships keep you from enjoying this supreme relationship. I pray that you're enjoying living in a close walk with God. And if not, I pray that you will. Pray that you will seek it now. Don't be content, dear friends, with just an outward form of religion. Don't be content with just knowing theology or with moral living, with other outward forms of religion. Those things are important. They have their place our growth as Christians and in our lives. But those things can just be an empty shell. That's all you're about. You need this living relationship with the Lord. You need to walk. All those other things should lead you to that, to this one, this lover of your soul who desires you to walk with him. Without that walk with him, you and I have nothing. And we're told here it is by faith that we enjoy this walk with God. And it is isn't it? We don't see God. We don't hear his voice. Some people say they do, but that's certainly not my experience, and I wouldn't encourage any of you to seek for those things. We don't see him with our eyes. We don't hear him with our ears. It's by faith that we perceive him, and we have this relationship with him. That doesn't make our relationship with him any less real. We have his promise 
that we are to live by, by faith. His promise is, I am with you always. You have to believe that by faith and keep believing. And it's by faith that you are going to speak to him in prayer. And apart from faith, you won't do that. You have to believe that he exists. Believe that he's the hearer of prayer. Believe that you're welcome into his presence. By faith, you have to believe that he loves you. By faith, you believe that he's speaking to you through his word. He speaks to us corporately. He speaks to us in a very personal way. His spirit applies his word personally to us. He makes himself known. Just as in a human relationship, we make ourselves known to each other. The Lord makes himself known to his loved ones through his word, through the reading of his word, through the preaching of his word as we're gathered together on the Lord's day. But guess what? We need to hear it by faith. And by faith, we can believe in and revel in his love for us. And we can express our love back to him. By faith, we abide in this communion with God. And we can do so as much as we want through Christ. That's the privilege we have. You can live in constant communion with the Lord. That's why we fight sin in our lives. Not so we can be perfect, so we can be good, good folks. You should be fighting your sin so that you can walk in communion with this wonderful God. And this walk with God is what enables us to get through this life. This is what enables us to get through the worst troubles and trials that come to us life. Just knowing theology isn't going to do that. Not for me. Anymore. I need to know that the Lord is with him. With him. By faith, we know that. We know that he's with us in the midst of it all. In the midst of the fiery furnace, he's with us. We know that by faith. And we can draw near to him and we can ask for more grace, the grace that we need in those trials. You know, the fact that we have that access to God and that communion with him, that ability to walk with him, and live in a relationship with him, that makes all the world of difference in those hard times of trial. I think it can even make your trials and your troubles into a kind of heaven on earth for you because he will draw near to times and you will draw near to him in those times like you never did in good times and you'll come to know in a deeper way that he's with you, he's upholding, helping, bearing your burdens. No wonder James tells us to count it all joy when we encounter various kinds of trials because those things do us this favor. They draw us near to God and they help us to know his presence and his help in our lives in a way that we couldn't know otherwise. The Lord's presence and his love for you can give you a, a deep abiding joy no matter what you're going through in this life. Walking with God is the best thing that we can have in this life. It's the highest experience that any human can have. It's the beginning of heaven, really. This is the life of heaven uh, broken into this world, and we're living it already now as we walk with God. Warren Wiersbe writes, Enoch had been walking with God for so many years that his transfer to heaven was not even an interruption. Isn't that great? May it be like that for each of us. May it be that we will never um, taste a day of our lives without this walking with God. May it be that we will experience that taste of heaven every day 
of our life on earth so that going to heaven will just be entering into the fullness of what we've already been walking with God here on earth. Of course, walking with God also means growing. It means knowing God better and better, growing in our knowledge of him through his word, growing to be more like him. His spirit sanctifies us through his word, growing, learning more to love him, growing in our ability to please him. Again, fighting our sin so that we can enjoy closer communion with this idea of walking with God. It's the idea of walking in the same direction as God, walking in the path of his will. Again, I keep talking about his word. His word is an integral part of this in all our lives as believers. We've got to be walking in his word. Of course, sadly, we don't walk perfectly. We're very far from it. I hope you realize that about yourself. We stumble and we fall all too much daily, multiple times a day, and yet the Lord never forsakes us. His promise is that he is always with us. He never turns from us. He will help you back up when you stumble and fall. He will help you get back into the path to keep right on walking with him in the way everlasting. This is being a Christian, what being a Christian is about. Not just about you making a profession of faith in Jesus or having knowledge of certain facts or doctrines. Now again, you can, you can have all kinds of knowledge in your head and it could even be the right knowledge and you could still not be a real Christian. Be a Christian means to be someone who walks with God. This is what we want for ourselves and for our loved ones and for our children to know him and to follow him, to really enjoy living in his presence, to glorify and enjoy him. This is how we do it on earth, walk with God. Notice Hebrews 11 takes this idea and twists it a little bit, um, this idea of walking with God, uh, and it changes it to pleasing God. The writer of Hebrews speaks of pleasing God rather than um, focusing on walking with God. He's following the Greek version of the Old Testament, which says Enoch pleased God rather than Enoch walked with God. The original Hebrew says he walked with God, but uh, often the New Testament writers uh, had a great appreciation for the Greek version, and uh, it says he pleased God. But it's the same idea. It's the very same idea. Walking with God and pleasing God. It's the same reality. It's the same life. But the writer of Hebrews wants to emphasize this idea that we can only be pleasing to God through faith. Only through faith. And through faith in Jesus. Enoch pleased God and walked with him by faith. He lived by faith, and so must we. If you want to know God and you want to walk in fellowship with him, there's only one way. This is the way. You have to live by faith, and you have to live by faith specifically in the Son of God who gave himself for you. That's the message of Hebrews. Persistent faith, persistent trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, not letting go of faith in him, Keep trusting him all your days. Faith in Christ is the only way that we can please God. Certainly, it's the only way we can be saved. And that faith in Christ, then, will lead you to want to please God 
by obeying his word. And that obedience, of course, is a, is a necessary part of continuing to walk in fellowship with God. Faith and obedience go hand in hand like that. But apart from faith, there is no God-pleasing obedience. You can't start out by faith and say, well, I've come to faith in Jesus, and now it's all about me hanging in there, and me uh, obeying the law, my teeth, and trying to do the best I can. No, it is by faith from first to last is Christian. We need to cling to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith from now until we reach eternity. Apart from him, your obedience and mine is just filthy rags, and it's not pleasing to God. It's appalling. It's Christ's obedience that we cling to. It's Christ's obedience that is the perfect obedience that pleases the Father. And that's the only perfect obedience that we have. And we have it how? By faith. Only by faith. We have the everlasting righteousness of God. And that is ours through the perfect active obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ that he accomplished when he lived his life on earth under the law. The perfect obedience. And it's reckoned to us. It's counted to us. By faith alone, we trust in Jesus Christ. So this is how we walk with God, by faith. This is how we keep in step with God's Spirit, continuing to live by faith in Jesus and walking in the path of obedience to God's Word. And of course, we have to do that in reliance upon God's grace every step of the way in this walk with God. Let's pray and ask him for that grace and help that we need. Let's ask him to enable us to walk with him in this way and to strengthen our faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for this wonderful life of faith that you've brought us into. Uh, it's not just a deliverance from hell, but it is an amazing uh, entrance and abiding in a relationship of knowing you living with you, communing with you. Uh, and it is all a gift of your grace. We can't claim to have um, achieved this ourselves in any, uh, in any way, in any part. Lord, we do pray that you would um, grant that we would all, each of us, and our children and our loved ones, um, glorify and enjoy you this way, in this living way. We want to please you. We want to walk with you um, like Enoch and even in greater ways than he did because now we have the Holy Spirit uh, poured out upon us. Uh, grant this to us, Lord. Grant it so that our entrance into your presence in heaven would not be some stark, dramatic change, but just a continuum, this beginning of life of heaven, even here on earth. We ask these